cue motivational music. Hello and welcome to the podcast. My name's Dean and I'm a designer on a quest. A quest to further understand the creative industry and learn as much as this noggin will hold. Join me as I share my discoveries and tap into the minds of some of the most well-respected creatives in the world. This is my creative therapy. Hello and welcome to episode 7. So today I'm joined by Pete Durant, who is a digital guru, in my opinion. He's um, a business leader with expertise in leading business change, heading up social marketing agencies, creating integrated digital brand strategies, cutting-edge content and award-winning marketing campaigns. Currently, he's head of social media and digital marketing for global content and TV company Endemol Shine, who work on some awesome TV shows like Peaky Blinders, Big Brother, The Island of Bear Grylls, just to name a few. In this episode, we talk about some of the awesome projects that he's worked on, setting goals, making the most of your time, creating effective social content, and loads more. So how are you? How's things? Yeah, not too bad. Pretty, pretty relaxed. We've got a big show coming out on Saturday, second series of All Together Now on BBC One. <clears throat> Uh, so we've been working quite hard on that with uh, with the BBC and kind of production and, and stuff like that. So uh, okay, cool. So yeah, so it's kind of kind of just building up to that now. The last couple of days and see how it goes. You go for it. Yeah. What's exactly. the um, what what's the the sort of the turnaround time like there? Is it sort of you get a job in and it's got to be out the door the next week, or do you get sort of six weeks on the project? Uh, I mean, we know about the project as soon as it goes into production, so we, we have a really long lead time. We know when the projects are. Um, the only time where we might have a slight um, quicker deadline is if uh, the, they, the, they have to deliver the show later or quite close to broadcast um, when we don't oh, really okay. get the footage until a lot later. Uh, but generally, yeah, we have we have good lead times here. It's not like someone just calls up and goes, "I've got a show going out uh, in 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 a day's time," because we we see everything as it as it kind of progresses through its ah, development okay. stage. So it's it's not too bad in that respect. So is is all the work done in house then? Yeah, yeah, I'd say yeah. From from my side point of view, yeah, absolutely. So we okay. Yeah. That, that's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, I was just wondering if you could just tell us a bit about your backstory, you know, how you got into the industry, uh, you know, take us way back, way back, if you can. Sure. I hadn't actually known we started, but there you go. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're recording, we're recording. So, uh, how did I get in the industry? Uh, by complete accident. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I would say... Uh, at least within in social and digital, maybe erring on the side of uh, being one of the younger, older statesmen, maybe is the best way to put it. Uh, I when I was I went to uni, I did film, and there was no social media. Um, content was 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 text SEO based, um, and I came out. I came out, started in TV as a runner and wanted to, to work in the TV business and just really my career without a job in mind meandered and, and took different routes. So started in TV, then after a few running gigs over a quite long period of time, uh, I was just in the building when someone had a digital job going. Nice. And I said, I said, yes, please. It was more money. It was less hours. I thought, yes, I'll have that. And uh, started doing digital content jobs and, and actually found it much more interesting and fun. So I was working on Big Brother. I was working on the games. And what we were doing was actually really quite cutting edge. So we were doing live streaming through a web. We were doing news stories. We were doing edits a video i was i was i was mainly looking at cms's and, and making sure that what we were publishing and was getting out there with the right metadata and search strings and things like that so yeah so i kind of uh, I, I went from you know running into that and then um did that for quite a bit i did a bit of tv development like you know a couple of weeks here and there and then saved up enough money and and sold off to australia for a year 
<laughs> I just nice. Well, okay. you know, I was quite junior, and why I'm, not? And I thought, why not? I'm young, and I've got the money to do it. So I've, you know, I saved up from this job and um, these jobs, and absolutely, and kind of did it. And over there, uh, you know, kind of starting again in an industry is pretty tough, especially when you don't have. I can imagine it would be a little bit easier now with the experience I have, and and ended up in an investment bank, as you do. So. <laughs> did that for six months, traveled around, came back, and, and uh, a friend of mine who I worked with on Big Brother said, uh, the Sun newspaper are changing their CMS, and you know all about that stuff. Do you fancy coming in and being an online sub and helping them get their archive stories and some of their breaking stories into the new CMS as they, they, oh, wow. they switched over? And in the end, I was an online sub for a year. After that project, um, I wrote some pretty horrendous stories uh, about Big Brother, and when I mean horrendous, I mean horrendously <laughs> written. Uh, what, what sort of what sort of big what sort of Big Brother are we talking about here? Is it like the the older ones with? Yeah, we're talking. Oh, what yeah, was, we're um, talking Nadia. Oh yeah, was it we're, Nadia? Yeah, we're talking about that. We're talking like two thousand and gosh, seven, maybe two thousand yeah, seven, yeah. something like that. And 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 so essentially, yeah, the Channel Four days. And I, oh, th those are the best days. Those that was when Big Brother was, was at its peak. Some would argue I, I that. Feel... Some would argue, you know, the the show is still great. Um, but uh, you know, it is one of ours. It is one of ours. So uh, you know, we we uh, recently won a, a broadcast award for best digital program support. So we're still the online audience nice. is still really really huge and, and kind of love the show but yes to the outsider oh, to the outsider people uh, definitely seem to have preferred the channel 4 days as my corporate my corporate hat on um, but uh, so I was doing this stuff and then at the same time I was doing that I was actually working nights and I, I swore I would never work nights again on a full time basis it was absolutely horrendous I had to do it in order to work in order to be able to move to London because I was doing huge commutes through all of this. I was living yeah. out in southeast Essex and, you know, doing two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour commutes. I was working night shifts at the sun, at the, which at the start meant you finished at maybe, sometimes you finished at two or three in the morning, sometimes you finished later. And at two or three in the morning, there were no trains. So I was just hanging around Liverpool Street in a cafe for, for that sort of period of time until the train started. So... It's crazy. It, it, remind, it kind of reminds me of that sort of setting. I'm sort of picturing the Wolf of Wall Street. Like, it, everyone's just going crazy and, you know... Less, it, it, less drugs. Uh, less drugs. <laughs> less drugs, more coffee. And more it's, watching Big yeah. Brother contestants sleep. Um, oh, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that was another sort of great, great part about it, is that you could just, if, if you couldn't sleep, you could just go downstairs, put... I think you had to hit the red button or something on your remote, and then you could, yeah. you could just watch them sleep, which yeah. is really random, but it, yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty entertaining. popular, actually. It was pretty popular, but yeah, so it was, um, I think what it was basically was uh, the night thing, you know, really did actually physically affect me, but what everyone has to do certain jobs when they start off, and I see some people now when they come into the industry, and maybe it's just because yeah. I'm a bit more of an old bugger, but I do, I do, I don't see, I, I see in some people that they don't think that they have to do that. Uh, and it's, and, right. and they yeah. don't have to kind of sometimes do, do the crap in the industry. I understand a lot of people as I did have other jobs. I scanned maps for a local council at one point. Um, okay, cool. <laughs> but, and, and they, and, and then suddenly they get a job in the industry and they, they expect that it's all amazing and stuff. So, I did that. I worked nights, and then I also worked days at Channel 4 as an online producer for an online uh, uh, branded content show called Byte. And this is all, this was all during a time when it just didn't really exist. And, you know, branded content series like that now are kind of slightly all the rage. And I think, well, Ford were doing it, you know, in 2008 or whenever it was, 2009. Um, and I kind of just followed into different roles that were really interesting to me. So at that point, I had the opportunity to go and um, run the editorial and essentially run the community of a virtual world slash social network okay. before social media marketing was a thing. So it was at yeah. Habbo, Habbo Hotel, which was for teens. And we really were on the... Um, 
forefront really of what people would now consider the norm of the business and we were doing some really amazing creative stuff marketing to to young people and connecting brands tv shows films uh, the nspcc won a few awards and um and then in that role i evolved into doing all of the global ad creatives uh so it was quite it was amazing because i was still really young and, and seeing your work go out to 20 30 million people around the world was, yeah that's crazy really, man. that's, that's really cool and it was you know we got loads of briefs it was highly creative it was all about making great content but being very commercially savvy with it because not only were you doing it for brands but we was we were creating content to keep people on site so you were essentially learning how to run a, a website and yeah understand that element of it as well as selling virtual furniture so we had a, you know the role was also really really commercial because you had to look after how much uh, furniture or ferny as it was called we were selling and um, it was really amazing and I loved it actually it was one of my favorite jobs that I've had because uh, we was I think originally when I joined there was maybe oh, hang on I'm just counting them up one two three four five six, seven maybe like seven of us in an office in an office in London in the business design center in Angel and uh, we have one window out to the outside world and it wow. went straight onto a brick wall uh, which was really close up and we faced into the business design center next door was a really yeah. loud gym which we nicknamed the meat which we nicknamed the meatheads nice. and we were doing nice. stuff that <laughs> we were, and we were doing stuff that no one was doing people were still buying tv they were still buying uh, print radio all these traditional methods that we now see as uh, have, have, have rescinded in the face of yeah, yeah. digital with and, and and it was incredible you know it was it was it's such a fun creative different time and and so i did that so i did the commercial and then felt that i wanted more brand experience and then kind of flipped between brand and agency in a variety of different yeah. roles um, eventually, you know, getting more senior, doing partnership roles and, and, and kind of um, getting to where I am today, really. So there's never really been a plan. And I think maybe some, I think if you're creative and you need regular creative stimulus and you need challenges to overcome or, or in a creative way where an artist would have a piece of work and then move on to different pieces of work and do different yeah. approaches, I kind of see my career slightly being like that and and but also kind of just reacting and evolving to the industry as it changed around me because it didn't exist and then suddenly i I remember my boss phil at habo turned around to me and you should really look at this twitter thing you know and that that you know that's that's the the uh, that's kind of how i evolved and my my skill sets have been always broader skill sets yeah because it's just evolved that way and i you know you, you learn things at different speeds and in different instances so it's been a bit it's been a bit crazy it's been great um uh, been a bit crazy sometimes i did well sometimes i didn't do well yeah but i think that's also just growing up right oh absolutely you make mistakes you make mistakes and you learn from them and you roll with it you hopefully never do them again <laughs> i tell you what Pete, it sounds like you've been on an absolute journey as you're talking i'm thinking about what have i done and i'm thinking well i went there then i went there and now i'm here <laughs> now i'm just trying yeah. to think hang on a minute maybe i need to revisit my um my sort of strategy yeah, i think i think it just works for different people right i, I think if you are in somewhere that you really enjoy yeah and, absolutely and you're creatively fulfilled then then awesome then yeah you don't need you. to move. absolutely and, and if you feel that you're developing and and always learning new things I, I think i'm i'm the type of person who always likes to feel like i'm learning something and i'm able to push myself to places and areas that i would never done before so i can look back on a year or something like that and go yeah absolutely these are things I didn't know, or these are the things I overcame, or this is what I built or did. Um, do, you, do you ever yeah. give yourself sort of like at the beginning of every year, give yourself like five things you want to achieve towards the towards the end, and sort of maybe look at things that way, and then reevaluate what you've done at the end of the year, then maybe aim for bigger goals next year, and and so on. 
you know what i do it in my prof- in my personal life actually uh, uh, okay cool. weirdly like i remember years ago you know you try resolutions and all of that and i think it's just bollocks um yeah <laughs> uh, but what i do yeah. is, is i try and set myself something new to learn that year or something to achieve so one of it was you know uh, research my family tree and my family history uh, another was learn how to draw because i was a I was rubbish at it as a kid and I was disruptive yeah. in art classes and they kicked me out of art class and said, go and do your homework because you clearly are not going to be taking it at GCSE and you're disrupting, oh, and you're disrupting the class. So I sat and did my science homework for an hour in the library. Um, nice. Um, yeah, exactly. Right. So I always, I always looked at it and went, I really would like to have the confidence to be able to pick up a pencil and try and draw something. So I did uh, did an art course um, and did exactly that. I This year, awesome. it's, I want to write another book. Um, and actually, yeah. I'm, I'm actually really close to probably about two weeks away already of finishing that. So I might make it, I want to write two books. So, oh, God. Right, okay. so it's a bit, rather than sort of saying I want to do five things, it's more about what can I achieve i mean, yeah, didn't yeah. expect to do it so early but i kind of found this thing i i, I wrote one before and i wrote it on the on the train because i was doing two and a half hours per journey as a commute when i was young like at the sun and and places like that and then i've my job at the moment i tend to be on the tube for around 45 minutes to an hour depending on um doors not closing and passenger alarms and fun stuff like that and yeah. Uh, and, and I discovered this platform called Wattpad, which is a social network. It's about 70 million young people around the world who are writing stories and reading novels. It's basically the YouTube for stories. And everyone reads it on their phone. So they're reading books. Wow. They're spending like 40 minutes per session. You know, it's like it's this really high attention rate. And they're so they're they're engaging with it in a different way and a lot of them are also writing on their phones so when they're on the tube or on the bus or stuff they're they're writing they're writing through they would do sending a text so i thought yeah, well absolutely. and and i thought well i was mulling over getting a pen that can upload your words digitally um, right okay and things like that that i think there's there's different providers of that and then i just started typing and I thought, oh God, this is just so much easier because I've always got my phone on me. I don't need to get a pad out. I don't need to carry an extra bag. And I, It just makes things so much easier, doesn't it? Especially if you're using something like uh, Google Drive where you're just saving that document from your phone and then you're, you know, you're whipping your laptop out and then you're, you're carrying on from it on your laptop. And there's just so many different... It- ways and means of making things easier it's massively massively game changing for me and i remember like my first thing when i was doing the commute when i was younger and just really angry and didn't really know how to write and it's you know it's quite awful um i was just probably just writing about people i hated at work or something like that um or women who spawned me you know it's not spawned me spurned me i should say um spawn me would be a would be a book about my my mother wouldn't it um and I, that's a separate book yeah i wrote it all longhand i literally wrote an entire book um with just pen and paper and now i wow. and now i'm doing it on my commute and the worst thing is, is that today i noticed my fingers ache so badly because like i'm bloody typing all the time and i'm whatsapping and i'm sending emails through my phone and I'm, and um but i've cranked that's why it's been so quick because you know sort of monday to wednesday i'm spending three to five hours writing and i'm cranking through you know a thousand fifteen hundred words a day and sometimes i do that and sometimes i read a book so it's quite so like creatively technology has, has really helped and fulfilled that and actually made it a lot easier so this so this platform Wattpad, I, I kind of uploaded one of my old uh, novels on it and it got shortlisted for their kind of end of year global awards so it kind of just gave me nice. I, I kind of gave me the boot up the bum to say all right you know you you probably you're not as bad as you think but you need to work on it um and maybe if you're now older with less of an axe to grind
Well, it's, it's like an art, isn't it? It's like an art it, in itself, it, writing, creative writing. It, it is, but it's kind of, I guess, it's the... Someone, someone got this from a podcast and it kills me because I can't remember who he said he got it, the podcast was on and who said it. So it's like my gardener's uncle's brother's dog. Um, they said when you write, you can be, you can choose, you can have the story and you can choose to either put a stained glass window in front of it, uh, which can obscure it and, you know, purposely do that, or you can just put a really just clear pane of glass. And I think that's a really lovely way of summarizing me taking 400 words to say what I could probably have done in two lines, you know, because I was not trying to be a wordsmith and I was just, but I'm now trying to tell a story and, so yeah so i think you know in, in terms of you know so i think in, in personally rather than resolutions i think it's nice to say oh, if i do this one thing this year then i think that i've done really well because reality is, is that life gets in the way and stuff like that professionally professionally though it's the difficult thing because i think it's i think i'm a lot more malleable to my business and it's more i guess my goals are, are often what do i need to achieve in my job and for the business because that's the relationship um, so maybe i don't do it as much as i do should do professional i should maybe do what i do personally professionally but um yeah that'd be nice but then sometimes it you know maybe not having a goal professionally for a year allows you to achieve something personally i don't know absolutely man i am um around about every year around about december and i'm sure i'm not the only one you know you have this mindset of as soon as february comes you're gonna get back in the gym and you're gonna smash all these goals and do everything that you you want to do and then february uh january rolls around and you're like ah oh, do i really want to be that guy who walks into the gym and everyone turns around and thinks oh here we go here's another new year's resolution uh, you know and i'm sure um, virgin active would love you to do that <laughs> no they would absolutely but the um i know i know what you mean though about this whole being able to well you have technology at your fingertips and you can do whatever you want with it and you can you can essentially turn it into your career you know that 45 minute commute that you're taking if you if you're if you're utilizing as much of that time as possible throughout the year you know that could that could be six weeks worth of work yeah i'm not sure you know i'm not good at maths but you know, if, if you're utilizing the time that that you have correctly, then you could be creating some awesome content or really doing I the think things like that last, you want to do. Last year, I played a hell of a lot of football manager on my commute. Now, I'm not knocking that. <laughs> I, 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 I very much enjoyed it, and I'm currently unbeaten in eight seasons, I think. Um, but, wow, um, impressive. But um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's more... I, I was also playing a console game because... I was a bit stressed and sort of some other stuff was going on. And I played, a, uh, I love the Assassin's Creed series on, on the Xbox. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Um, I haven't played any of the Assassin's Creed. I've played the, um, I've played the Far Cry's. I played Far Cry 5. I, I did look at getting Assassin's Creed, but I wasn't, they, they released two, didn't they? So there was one like an Egyptian one and then, Six months or a year later, they released the uh, like. Uh, was it Roman themed or? And it's Greek. It was like Greece. Greece and Sparta. Oh, yeah, and but I love it, right? I love it because I I can. It's just I can switch off my brain. It's my release, and plus it looks beautiful. That you've got the storylines, you've got the history, and uh, you know, as a stress reliever, I think it it's really amazing. But then. They have this thing that they did this year, which they shouldn't have done, which told me that I played a hundred hours worth of gaming on this oh. one game. And um, that's good going, impressive. It, it's a lot, and I kind of and I just thought, you know what, I loved it and I enjoyed it. But can you imagine what if you'd put that hundred hours, or at least half of it, like say fifty hours, into something oh, else? God, yeah. um, did you ever get into uh, World of Warcraft? No, no. I, just, I think I'm not like a hardcore gamer or anything. I just basically like the Assassin's Creed series. You know, it's like, it's like my thing. And, and obviously, GoldenEye <laughs> on the N64. Oh, that. wow. All hail. But, um, All hail. But, <laughs> but yeah, I just, yeah, it's just kind of, I've got the guilt. I think it's my, my parents done really well when I was a kid because I played football manager and stuff as a kid. And they, we never really had a cot, like a, like a really top end console or anything like that. But, she just drilled it into me that I had to be doing my homework. And I remember I'd, 
how I, I think it was a summer at uni and it was an evening and I, I was working some crappy summer job putting you know i think data entry for a credit card firm or some you know some sort of generic student job and um and i came home and i was playing it in the evening and i had nothing to do right it was you know i didn't have to do homework or you know it was my summer and it was my time and i yeah, felt yeah. guilty i felt <laughs> guilty like i shouldn't have been playing this because because somehow my parents drew that into me so when i saw this 100 hours i thought how, oh no how much more have i played on football manager um uh which actually is very good for long-haul flights but how, what else can i be doing and and so i kind of got a bit of inspiration i got nominated for this uh, you know i was on this sort of short list didn't win but i was on the short list um what was that for it's a book called the illumination that i wrote oh, right, years okay. ago and i kind of find it really hard to read back now because it's like this young kid wrote it who uh, it's probably a little bit out of touch of today's culture, uh, as I'm sure everyone looks back on their younger years and think, what a dick. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I used to, going back to the whole gaming thing, I used to, and, and still do, and it, it's really weird, and it sometimes bugs me. I sometimes feel like when I'm playing a game, I have to power through it because I'm constantly thinking, surely there's something more productive I should be doing. Oh, and it's really annoying because... Yeah, and it's annoying because I have all these friends who are, who are like, oh yeah, I've, you know, are we going to play this tonight? Are we going to play this? And I, I'm all I'm all game for it. I want to play, but as soon as I get on there and start playing, I'm thinking, oh, hang on a minute, what about this bit of private work that I've got on, or you know, my website needs updating, or I really want to reach out reach out to this guy and talk to him about some of the work he's been working on, and then so so that's kind of like kind of blocks my enjoyment, which is which is annoying as hell i'm sure you're uh, i'm sure you, uh, there are be many people listening to this who are parents going for god's sake guys just enjoy it while you can oh <laughs> god absolutely soon enough your xbox would just be there for collecting dust or something like that but <laughs> I, um, I was actually looking at getting an old uh, n64 i was looking on a gum tree the other day and i was i was so tempted because you can still surprisingly they're only around about 50 pound so I was I was going to get one. I was going to get GoldenEye, Zelda, oh, Perfect I, Dark, and I was just going to I was just going to blast the weekend and just have an N sixty four weekend. I thought that as well, and yeah, I don't know. I never did. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> no, I know what you mean. But going back to um, Endemol, is, yes. that, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, Endemol Shine. Yeah, that's yeah. Oh, Endemol Shine. So obviously the 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 projects that you guys are working on there is incredibly awesome. So just a few ones that stuck out to me, uh, Black Mirror, uh, The Island with Bear Grylls, uh, Mr. Bean, oh my, Mr. Bean. I mean, the, the cartoons are surprisingly as good as the originals that were made in the 80s, which is a bold statement. It's incredible. But, um, Mr. Bean is incredible, and I, I don't think when they uh, when Rowan probably originally did it, he thought it would be as such of an international smash as it is. Uh, and the guys who are doing oh, the no. cartoons are incredible. The guys who are doing the digital work are, uh, for Mr. Bean um, as part of the End of All Shine group are, are great. And it's just, I, I suppose it's just, it's, it's, when you don't have language, humour can travel. Um, and it's, a, yeah, it's, it's actually crazy. a really it's simple all... uh, conceit, really. Um, and and then when I was there... I think that's what works so well with it, you know. Just like he, he, I think in the in the there was like a lit, a tiny little bit of dialogue where he might have said like the one word throughout the whole fifteen minute sketch or something. But just yeah, what... I think so. Yeah, I mean, I don't know Mr. Bean as well actually, so it's not it's not actually one of the brands I work on. But I could, oh, you know, okay. I can only. I can only talk as a as a sort of <clears throat> as a consumer really. But yeah, I think he, he kind of has some words, but I think when you're when it's one or two words, that's it's much easier to translate for an international audience. Oh man, than absolutely. A, a dialogue heavy thing where you have to have voiceovers or um you know, voice voice actors taking characters and things like that. I suppose there's less pressure on the writers, more pressure on the actor. Yeah, you know, to to make sure that he's doing doing everything right. Yeah, and... I think so. I think it's also finding those universal situations that do translate. I think that's also key when you have physical humour. Is that it's not 
physical humor you, you, it tends to be situational rather than perhaps as cultural so maybe a travel yeah uh, i'm, I'm not you. a bean expert that's just me um <laughs> I, w- I wish I could say I was a bean expert. <laughs> I wish I could. I'll put that on my CV. I'm sure there'll be on Mastermind soon enough. There'll be someone. Uh, but have you seen the um, Have you seen the new Black Mirror? I think it's called uh, Bandersnatch. Bandersnatch Black Mirror does uh, really great for Netflix. We have we have some great brands. We've got Peaky Blinders. Um, it's, it's my team work. My team work on. Uh, we've worked on Humans. Um, we have nice. some really great entertainment formats. So uh, things like uh, uh, internationally, we have there's a show called Your Face Sounds Familiar. We have All Together Now, which is now in 10 markets, uh, which is uh, the one that's out on Saturday, BBC One. Cool. 30. Boom, and, plug. <laughs> and uh, we have Jerry Halliwell and Rob Beckett. Oh. Uh, and then... And then we uh, obviously the Big Brother series. We have Master Chef. We have Family Food Fight. We originally years ago um, had Changing Rooms, which is obviously trading places or spaces. I think it's trading spaces, isn't it? In yeah, the US. Yeah, I think so. yeah, yeah. Uh, so we have these. I mean, and that's just a few. We have Lowe's Bar Broad Church, which is another one. Uh, so we we have these huge. Um, huge uh, IPs, huge stories that go out and go out internationally. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, uh, it's weird from my, from my point of view, because I'm not really familiar with with uh, your industry as such. I would have assumed that, say, ITV or BBC or Netflix, they would have created the content themselves. Yeah, so, so in a really, really crude way, uh, traditionally what would happen is uh, Netflix um, or BBC or, or someone like that would either put out a brief for a show. They might say, look, we want a show for 24-year-olds that's around driving, 16 to 24-year-olds around driving, and it's BBC Three. So like a channel will have a commissioning editor who will help sculpt what that channel's content is, and then they will go and put out a brief, and the production companies will come back with formats which they own. And then the commissioner will go, oh, I really like that. I want to make it. I'm going to commission you to do it. And then they license the, the, the show and brand. So the production company, production company are then paid to make it. And then the BBC, for example, will then say, we will own this content and this license for this brand for three years to be on BBC. Uh, and then we will say, great, this car show is on the BBC, but you only right. had it in the yeah, UK. Absolutely. We will then take it. Yeah, and sell it into other markets as well. So you either sell the actual show itself, so it might be shown on an Australian channel or something like that, or the format will be sold to Australia and they'll make their own version. And, so, and sometimes both. So that's why you have in the UK MasterChef UK, and then maybe on ah, okay. Watch or one of these other channels, you might have MasterChef Australia and MasterChef US, all of which are yeah. tonally and uh, different shows. But they're from the same right, core okay, with you. Yeah. So, so that, so, so you either get a brief or you go and just pitch in a new show. Uh, but generally, production labels will get to know commissioners and know what they like and what they don't like, or what the channel wants and doesn't want. So, channel four, so channel four won't do, would never do pole dark for a drama, for example. And that's how they would never. I'm making a huge assumption here because I don't work in the commissioning or the show development bit but if you look at what they make it's a it's right, feels okay. a lot different to um to a pole dark you know if you compare a humans to a to a pole dark for example so that's that's kind of how things that's generally how things work and then sometimes so sort of like that's kind of like in a nutshell a sort of a summary of yeah, yeah, how the industry works, I guess. The traditional TV industry, yeah. I mean, it is a lot more complex than that because you oh, get... Oh, man, absolutely, yeah. You, I, get, uh, you uh, get co-productions, so you might get an American company uh, like an AMC or a Netflix or someone who will co-fund a project with the BBC, or you might get YouTube now commissioning stuff, or you might get Facebook commissioning stuff, or... Um, yeah. 
or you might get BBC Three commissioning, and then it ends up on BBC One. It, there's lots of right. Okay, there's, there's lots of different avenues. There's lots of different avenues and lots of different ways than that show for then that show to then live and then be licensed onto different platforms. So you might sell the rights internationally to a, to a to TV shows. You might want to put it on YouTube and monetize on YouTube. You might go to the different on-demand services. Um, it's it's getting it's getting actually more and more complex. But what is key is that as a production company or as an IP generator, you are coming up with TV formats or stories, scripts, you know, within scripted and, and that sort of thing. And someone has to pay for them and license them. And so the, the platforms, the BBC, they have the platform and they need the content, which is which is why with people like Facebook, everyone's going Facebook watch. When will Facebook commission and they are starting and YouTube, which, you know, have started to, to sort of uh, uh, getting to the pool of commissioning of that, which is, which is the, the slight, not disruptor, but uh, change, change slightly to, to the industry. But that's, that's kind of it. You have a platform and you have a, a, an IP holder and they come together. So do you think in maybe five or maybe even sooner than that, five years, maybe sooner, um, do you think places like, uh, or platforms like Facebook Watch and YouTube, they'll start reaching out to you guys saying, you know, we want a TV series or we want some content? You, you already do. You already do. That's, that's happening now. But, but on a much smaller scale than, than a BBC or something like that. But I think in five years it will be a fully established process and relationship. That's crazy. Just to think how quick the whole the whole thing's come along. It must be really it must be really hard for the older generation in the industry to really get a grasp on how quick things have shifted and really understand, you know, cuz it, it it's really hard for someone who who's been in who's been sat in the, the, the sort of the same seat so to speak for 40 years and then within the last five years this this wave of technology and social media has just come through blew everything up actually not really actually not really i think it's quite it's, i think it's a little bit the opposite so i found that a lot of those um the people who've worked in tv a long time are actually um they still know what makes a good show they know what a good story is they know what a good script is They've been making they've been making incredible things that people have loved or hated. No, <laughs> absolutely, depending yeah, on, yeah. Depending on the ratings, uh, for many years. So that ability to craft a story in that way, they 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 absolutely can do. And and I think actually most people that I've worked with are, are incredibly open. I think where they um, not struggle, but why we exist is that when you try and translate a TV show then into a uh, a trail in a really simplest for, for, form into sort of digital marketing, a TV a TV trail doesn't necessarily work very well if you're doing a paid campaign through Facebook and Instagram. Okay. It needs a bespoke it needs a bespoke treatment. I mean, first of all, we have to square or vertical it anyway which is different but the relationship and the context of that person and their content is is highly different to what the tv relationship is whereas on big so, so for instance we we've seen recently that if you um cut to a wide shot in the tv show and you use that clip and maybe you put it out people drop off on the wide on the wide so because actually in your mobile phone, when you're used to seeing pictures of people's faces quite up close and you have that relationship, you cut to a wide in your head that says this is over. Or if you do like a white flash in between two clips, that means it's over and I'm done. So to get longer viewing and things like that, you actually have these new amazing narrative techniques that we're playing with that you need to bear in mind. And the other thing is, I guess, I guess the... The, the challenge and why we really exist in, in, an, in a business like this is that storytelling is not just your immersive, I'm going to watch a whole show. 
especially on Big Brother, we, you know, people are, and reality formats, they're actually watching and engaging with the show and getting what they need at different stages of their attention spans. So uh, I call it the three eyes. That's one of my content planning frameworks. Um, okay, cool. And, and uh, I, uh, the first one is immediate. So we scroll for something like 90 meters a day. There's some sort of ridiculous stat where we're all going to get arthritis in our hands. Um, <laughs> so you, uh, you, you have that and then you have the 45 minutes of typing on the tube. You know what? I'm on. A, I'm, a, I'm an industry professional. I barely use social media now. It's just <laughs> no. I'm joking. But you, um, you. Um, so, so you have that immediate bit where someone just wants a five second hit. Maybe they want a gift. They. It's about short, small amounts of piece, pieces of content or storytelling that you can ladder up time and time and time again to give yourself that 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 that, um, that impression. Then you have interactive, which is maybe ninety seconds worth of content maybe it's you're in instagram stories and you're asking people to ask a question it's polls which we actually have run as advertising for 100k drop recently and they were fantastic and yeah and uh, and so you're asking a little bit more it's a bit like having saying well we're going to have an mpu that we're going to show everyone loads and loads of different times and we only expect them to look at it for two to three seconds then you have, then we're going to do an interactive display unit, and then the immersive piece. I, the way I often describe it, and it's not right for all shows, but generally, is actually the show itself. That is the immersive thing yeah, yeah. we really want. So it, yes, it is longer clips. Yes, it can be a five-minute clip or a seven. So I guess it's really sort of taking content and really considering it across different channels. And just one more question. I want to. I want to try and squeeze one more question in. Are you guys considering virtual reality at all in the content that you're producing? Is that something that is is on the horizon and is something that you're keeping an eye on? Uh, VR, well, yes. So we, we actually, as part of Endemol Shine, we have a, a team who are actually dedicated to taking VR commissions from broadcasters to do either standalone or side projects that, that work symbiotically with the products themselves so i think we have a, a humans um project out we have a curfew project uh with sky uh that is either out or it's coming out soon so it's very much a part of our thinking it's very much part of our business's thinking but, um, i think for me um vr's i think vr is probably waiting for one or two big cut through pieces that really drives people to want to get the sets um it feels like it, it feels like it's in the gaming space for me that is still it's for me it still feels like that i can't see a family sitting down and all putting on their vr masks for an evening no I, I do however i think augmented reality ar is is probably in my opinion i i could be wrong. I think it is going to be the next thing. Uh, it, it, certainly, I think it's going to be more used than than VR, just because I can see how augmented reality can can merge with everyday living and sort of, you know, when you look further down the pipeline, you can imagine it just being a contact lens that you just put in your eye, and then you look at someone, then their their Facebook information or Instagram profile pops up to the left of them, and you can you can add them by winking. You know, it's. It really it seems to have a lot more legs than VR, which is strange because AR isn't really talked about as much. Well, I don't know. Maybe I just haven't heard about AR, like commercially mainstream. Yeah, I mean, I, I think AR seems to be used a lot in marketing and a yeah. little bit in gaming because obviously you had the, the whole um, Pokemon thing. Oh, uh, of course, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I, I agree. I think AR can be used in, in so many different ways, and no one's maybe perhaps told a story yet, just on an app that then does it. And I think from from my point of view, in terms of content, it's finding the right platform that enables you to do it. So, uh, can you get people into an app that gives you the AR experience in the way that you'd want? maybe a piece of storytelling to let you do um yeah yeah you know the, the the struggle that i have is that i think well not so much struggle it's more of an annoyance when you 
do you remember you used to see those magazines and they've got like scan codes yeah. on they're like hover your phone over this and this will pop out it's almost like great that that's fantastic but i have to download an app before i can do it and you know this app takes one minute to download and is that bit of content worth one minute of my time you know it's it's kind of like there's nothing immediate about it i think if there was like a, a social media platform which had augmented reality built in where it was an instant connection to that feature it would be it would be a different it would be a different thing well i mean with snapchat you know I oh guess yeah of course snapchat yeah. Is, is based on ar and facebook are trying to do um you know they do it as well and instagram i think has some filters and, yeah yeah and, things. and that's okay for a little bit of light touch um but but um and it's a bit of fun but maybe something longer lasting but an ar isn't longer lasting it's about being in the minute i think i think maybe the the challenge will be is that uh, there's a guy called dave coplin who used to work at microsoft and he was this brilliant a guy who does talks and said this is the future and this is five years from now or whatever is that and is that the guy who came out on stage once and went crazy i don't know he didn't go crazy when i saw him but and that's oh, not to I'll say to that send, he hasn't i have to send you a link there's a there's a guy from microsoft who like he's uh, announcing the new i don't know the new piece of software or something or whatever and he, he runs out on stage and he's throwing his arms around and that doesn't sound like him. He's this guy's a more of a futurist, so he wouldn't have announced software. He was just saying, you know, this potentially could be the home of the future, and this is what we're we're doing R and D and things like that. But the really the the idea of screens. So at the moment, we're all obsessed with screens, and we're you know I'm saying the screen through the mobile phone and then TV screen in that context and how whether in five years and the way that we're progressing, whether screens are actually still a thing. So as much as we talk about VR and AR and things like that, it's, you know, there is lots of things at the moment where, you know, your wall is becomes your screen and things like that. So I, I think it's all of these things really pend the development of technology and how that's really going to progress. I think a lot of people spend a lot of time and get really worried about um, even just in social with the amount of platforms and the amount of content that you might have to produce and all these new innovations, these new formats. And um, it causes people to chase their tails a bit and just get caught in the spin that they never feel like they're going to catch up. What I don't feel, what I feel that a lot of people have forgotten is just the old fashioned, old fashioned strategy of what the hell are we doing? Why are we doing it? Who are we trying to speak to? And you know what? We're not on Musical.ly. We're not on TikTok. That's okay because actually we don't need to be there or we don't need to be there yet. And I think that's why it's always great to get a balance of practitioners who are not all desperate to come strategists who are actually genuinely enjoying <laughs> their craft. So I wouldn't say I'm a craftsman. I've got people in my team who are yeah video editing craftsmen who are pushing themselves forward and who are learning and testing and you create this environment where you never feel like you have a fixed format and you're learning and playing but you're absolutely underpinned by what you're doing and why you're doing it because i can see like with the met office you can say you know what we, we're going to have a snapchat on met office well actually what we're going to do is we're going to pay a group of ambassadors to do the news reports in a weird, crazy 10-second way. Rain, snow, oh my God, it's snowing outside, put your coat on. You know, and that's your news report, right? Uh, your weather report. And it could be, right? There's nothing to say that you, that, that is not a genuine, bona fide, new way of doing a weather report, that's really, which is really quick and easy to do with just a couple of graphics over the top with the temperature, and, you, and you're done, right? Probably not. But if you go down that route and you can start having about 400 million different formats and different platforms and you lose control of that emotional tie, whatever that might be. I think that's what, what I think that's what's happening, though. It is. I it think is. Yeah. yeah, it's massively because, I mean, I was just I was just talking to a colleague today about TikTok and we were like, oh, yeah, the TikTok's this. It's well, it's not brand new, but. You know, there's not a lot of big brands using it, I guess, not just as of yet, but we were thinking, ah, oh, how could we use TikTok? Maybe if we had one of the presenters singing Blame It On The Weatherman. And, you know, it's like, but yeah, like you say, do we need to enter that space? Is that space for us? 
you know, we don't have to jump on any, every opportunity that, that comes up because we feel as though, you know, this is, this is new. That means we have to jump on it because it's going to take off. And if we don't jump on it now, then it, we're going to get left behind. I think that's what a lot of brands are doing as well. That Yeah, like you say, chasing their tail. And, and it's hard, right? It's I, hard I, because you get so much stimulus at you, so much technology, so so much progression from people in, uh, in terms of uh, the what you can do. And I think it's tough, right? It's, it's tough for people because sometimes people go to a point where they, you know, they're under pressure to hit figures, but then they're under pressure to do something new. Then they want to do something new, and then they see someone else doing something there. And it's and it's yeah. and then you got Facebook might tell you one thing and say, oh, it's all about this this year. Everyone, you've got to be doing a Facebook Live. Well, no, you don't need to be doing a Facebook Live if it's not right for you and right for what you're doing. Or yeah, yeah, you know, and, and so it's it's there's a lot of you know my big bugbear with with what Facebook did a few years ago, saying everyone's now got the attention span of a goldfish. And that was pure old-fashioned marketing and advertising. But it, it you know, it's put shockwaves through people in the industry and people were really worried. And it was like, no, it's not that they have the attention span of a goldfish. In 1966, people were watching football inside the ground and they weren't fixed to just that. That doesn't happen, right? They're talking to their, they talk to their friends. They go and get a drink or some food, or they're chanting a song, and they're watching the game. If you do that, then they've probably got three seconds because mm-hmm. they're doing a different stimulus every time. People have just got really brilliant at getting rid of crap. And, and those demands are, are going on it. And, and unless you have that really strong um, strategy of what you're doing and why you're doing it, and who you are and how you should come across, then that's 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 really uh, i think key and vital just to just to help people anchor having to pick up a new balloon in the wind you know like it's just so so crazy and like like everyone does it i look at tiktok right and i think gosh crap we should really probably do something with that and then i think do we need to like snapchat actually what i really liked about snapchat about about maybe a year and a half ago I said, well, what about the organic play? What about brands being on there? And they said, why? Don't bother. You know, they said reporting's not great. You get much better if you invested the money you'd put into content into more of an advertising approach, and it'll probably be more successful. And, and I think they were right. We had some amazing results with them in doing that. So it's 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 making sure that you you're doing what you should be doing. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a mix of FOMO. Uh, fear of missing out and because social media is still fairly new in terms of how long brands have been using it for there's kind of like an uncertainty of where it'll go and what the next thing is and brands are willing to test the waters and take risks I think because if things don't work out they can just remove themselves from that space (laughs) 